Well, hello and welcome to Finding Our Way, our Southridge Church member podcast designed to give people the inside scoop on life in our church. Here's our host and lead pastor, Jeff Lockyer. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another edition of Finding Our Way. We're so glad that uh, you joined in to what I think is going to be a fantastic, fantastic conversation with someone who's become uh, a relatively brand new friend of mine uh, named Lena Abu Jamra. Lena, welcome to our podcast. Say hello to everybody. I feel like we're old friends now, Jeff. Great to be with you. <laughs> we, we actually swapped a podcast the other day on her podcast, and now uh, she's participating in Finding Our Way. So we've had half of probably the conversation we want to have. She interviewed me, and now I get to interview her. So in that spirit, uh, I'm not just grateful for uh, your willingness to sit in and, and share some of your story, but to actually dive into a new book that you've written mm-hmm. and uh, how much it archives uh, much of God's activity in your life. So beginning sort of at the beginning can you just give us a a bit of history in your uh, who you are your personal background family life faith journey things like that and uh, just orient us to your journey yeah I'm I'm, I'm Lebanese I grew up in Beirut Lebanon my parents are both well my my mom was Palestinian refugee but really I grew up thinking she was both Lebanese and so um, we grew up in a relatively Christian home my mom had come to Christ in college my dad was a surgeon, and so a plastic surgeon in a time of war in Lebanon. So he really let my mom do the child rearing, probably not just because he's a, he was a surgeon and very busy, but also because of the uh, type of family life in the 70s in Lebanon. And so we grew up really very influenced by, by church culture, much like a Western home would be just uh, received Christ, heard the gospel from a young age, received Christ at a young age. Sort of was a problem, you know, low, low problem child. You know, I didn't really cause a lot of problems. I did well in school, et cetera. But, and so I think my first, though, beyond just knowing the gospel, you know, that Jesus died for me, wanting that, not wanting to, to spend my eternity in hell, I think I had sort of a, a coming of age moment in in high school after i moved it was at the end of high school we moved to uh, green bay wisconsin because of the war and i went to camp right after my senior year of high school i was probably right at 16 and just sensed a very deep encounter with god i mean i I believe i was saved before that but i think that was set the tone for what is now my christian life i think it was the point where i started asking you know the lord like what do you want for my life it stopped being about what i wanted and so it was a great timing you know obviously god's timing is perfect but i was headed to college and so that decision that summer influenced where i would go to college um even my approach to i ended up becoming a doctor but even that approach was very very surrounded with prayer and and felt like god would use me in the mission field i expected at some point. And so I, I went that road for a while and, and hit the major bump in my life in residency uh, after I'd already finished medical school and under and, um, and, and halfway through my residency, I got engaged. And uh, two weeks before the wedding, I ended the engagement. All of that happened very quickly. It was my first serious relationship. And it was sort of a very difficult time for me because what I thought would end up in a marriage relationship wasn't the guy I was engaged with, but a best friend of 10 years. But it it hit me that, that you could live a good life. And and again, I think some of those things that, that in life surprise you aren't things that you don't know for others, but it surprises you in your life where I thought I had been obedient, serving God, seeking the Lord. And what I thought would work out in a, in a relationship that would end in marriage ended up 
just backfiring in my face. And so I lost my best friend. I, I didn't get married. And I was really in a devastated place in my mid-20s, sort of wondering what this Christian life was about, you know? And so that sort of is the beginning of, uh, I think this, this is where the story gets interesting, you know, when everything's going smoothly. I mean, we like that, but really, I don't know if that's a, I, I think, you know, it's the drama in life and the pain in life that draws us to God. And I think that's when I started really growing deeper in my walk with the Lord and what he had for me in my life was that painful first my first painful encounter with that relationship Hmm. and you mentioned that you uh studied to be and have been a a physician that's correct yeah did pediatric emergency medicine and so i left residency after that debacle um by god's grace he he opened the door for me to go to a fellowship in pediatric er in florida and i thought i was escaping and sort of I just wanted to start fresh at that point, but I had, I had a lot of business to do with God, I think. And it was my first, I think even in hindsight, I think there was some level of deconstruction there, nowhere near like what happened to me just about eight years ago when I left uh, a church that I loved uh, because of toxic leadership. But that beginning, that, that encounter, that that season in Jacksonville, Florida, where I was doing my pediatric ER ended up being, I mean, the nice thing about the ER is that your schedule is so, you know, scheduled basically for doctors. That's a big deal. So I had time to to talk with the Lord, to be in the word and to, to wrestle with God. I think that deconstruction times are times of wrestling with God. And so I look back now before I used to think, oh, it's a season of suffering and trial. And I think now the language we use in 2021, I think that was a deconstruction season where these ideas were, God, I've done my part. Why haven't you done yours? You know, Lord, I trusted you and you didn't deliver. Those sort of big questions about faith and life and our relationship with God come to the surface. And I've had two or three big times in my life, I think two stick out that, that I think have shaped my current faith. Uh, and now I would say in the best way possible, but I'm telling you, walking through those seasons, both times, it felt like walking through hell. And yeah. I don't, sometimes I don't wish it on anyone. I think sometimes if we knew that, how it would feel, I'm not sure we would walk into that, that season of darkness, but what comes out of it is just, is just amazing. And, well, you uh, use that word. That's what the, I really want to focus this whole conversation about because you've, you've now become quite a spokesperson on the subject yeah. of deconstruction. So walk us through this experience at uh, quite a large and prominent church. You mentioned yeah. eight years ago. Talk about what shook down and and what happened to your faith at the, at the time. What was going well, on? Well, I think both of those situations were so relevant because they built on each other. So when you work through something with God, like what I did when I was in my mid-20s, you sort of think you've done the dirty work. Everything's going to be better now. And, 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 it's, and it doesn't play out that way in life. And so fast forward now, now I, I feel called to, and, and I think the other part of it that I think is also relevant is that why leaving my church was so difficult was sort of what happened in those years leading up to becoming part of that church. So I had, I had healed from this broken relationship and I really sensed at that point, I was, I was really close to the Lord and I felt like he wanted, he opened the door for me to teach the Bible. And I really felt called to teaching the word. And so by the time I made it to Chicago in 2000 and 2001, I had a calling. I felt like God really wanted me to spend the rest of my life. Like it almost felt like this engagement relationship, you know, marriage was not for me, but God had this other thing that was even better for me to teach the Bible. And so for a few years of, of straining to figure out my spot in Chicago in a new town, but eventually landed in an extremely dynamic church led by an extremely powerful communicator of the word of God. And so it felt like the intersection of what God was preparing me for the vision he had in my life for my, for, for my calling had come now to a place where this could happen. And so, so I think 
when we think about people leaving churches, you know, there's a lot of people that leave churches all the time and it doesn't lead into a crisis of faith. But by the time I, so I, so for years, maybe the first five to seven years of being in that church was so rich. And it wasn't until the end of those five to seven years that you started hearing more and more rumors about some of the toxicity that was going on in the leadership level. And then you, you know, at first you don't believe it. And then you sort of start seeing consistencies between what was being played out and what you had seen in your life with what was being told. And so by the time, you know, you leave and you're at that level of commitment to God, you've prayed a lot, you've sought the Lord a lot, you know, it's going to be a hard decision. And part of the delay in leaving, and and you would think by then I'd be an expert at leaving difficult relationships, you know, and, but, but, but I, I wasn't, I was, I wanted to, I wanted to flourish as the church was very much flourishing, but I just couldn't come to terms in my conscious, in my heart of what I knew about the Lord and his word with what I was seeing. And so the questions I would ask regularly of the leadership of the church were gaslit, you know, basically was a lot of it was sort of, you know, the answers were very either, either weren't really good answers, or they made me feel like I was asking wrong questions. And and so now you look back and you go, man, the writing was on the wall, but it took another maybe six months to a year before I had the boldness to, in fact, it was funny because I actually led the women's ministry at that church for three years. And that is the season of my life when uh, publishers took note of me. I, I had two book deals and the books came out this summer. I left the church. I had a blog that was growing in size. I was speaking at places. So uh, everything that I, you know, the pathway I was on was a pathway of success, much like what it looked like at that church. So to leave, I knew would, would put all of those dreams at risk. And I think what I didn't expect. So, so basically I ended up leaving and, and I think in your head, you play it out to be a certain way when you're doing the right thing, you just assume God is going to be on your side and vindicate you and show the world that you're doing the right thing. And I think, you know, anyone who's walked in a path like this knows that it doesn't always look or play out that way in the short run. I mean, down the road, and by the way, for some people, they never see it on this side of heaven play out, you know, in a way that you think it would. And so, so those first six months to a year, it was evident that the pain would be greater than I expected. But I think it took five or six years, Jeff, of walking through that to, to really admit how hard it had become. And sometimes I'm still now, I got to be honest with you, I'm still baffled now. Sometimes I look back and I get one of my close friends now who sits on my board, left the church around the time I did. She was my assistant back then. And we talk about that sometimes, like it seems surreal even now. How, how, like you kind of wonder, Lord, what happened there? How did, how did, how did you let the leaders get to that level? And why didn't you hold them accountable? Fine. I get that elder boards can, you know, all of these questions that come to your mind, I get, I get that accountability on the ground might have been, you know, not perfect, but, but you God, how could you do this? And, and so you thought of wrestle with God over questions. And those questions for me had to do with, with the church, because it was such an integral part of my life. But for other people who deconstruct those questions that turn from God, this isn't fair. You're not showing up. I can't hear you to, why is this pain so deep and why aren't you fixing this? I think those questions threaten to just steal your faith. They knock the wind out of you. They knock the faith out of you. And I think, I think you have to be really careful when that, when you're in that place, because on one hand, I think, you know, in hindsight, I think it was a gift to walk through that season. I would never would have admitted it. Even now, like I say it and a part of me is like, I don't want to be like, I'm not trying to be a cliche because I don't believe like, you know, I, I believe there's redemption in everything, but I hate this idea like, well, bad things happen for a good reason. It just sounds so cliche. Yeah. And it wasn't until really even in the last few weeks that I would say I'm starting to sense sort of this light in my soul. Hmm. But that wrestling, 
is what draws us closer to God. And so the deconstruction is sort of that process where something you've believed about your faith or, or a conviction you've held about life, all of a sudden you look at everything that's happening in your life and you go, man, it, something is an imbalance here. And so you start asking questions like you and I talked yesterday about, about this, how your church has been very focused on compassion and justice. And that conversation has been such an area of deconstruction for millennials who have looked at the church in, in our modern day era of the last 10 to 15 years that has become very evangelism focused and have sort of asked those questions like, why aren't we helping the poor? Why aren't we helping the immigrants and the disenfranchised? And, the, you know, the, the, in the United States, of course, a lot of the racial issues have come up and, and why are people so mean to the LGBTQ movement? And all of those questions that I think are critical questions and have biblical answers, but rather than finding answers in traditional, you know, places that, we, that that it has been the local church i think i think if you don't you know if you can't find answers that will satisfy your soul and be consistent with god i think the temptation is to walk away and so for me i floated for a while i don't know that i ever stopped going completely because my ministry went on so there was almost too much like i couldn't just not go to church i was saved by covid to a certain degree there was a season when i couldn't didn't have to go to church but but that tension of Showing up, because I think also you're a pastor, you know, you can show up to the church, you can sit in small group, you can sit in, 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 in services, you can raise your hand to worship and be absolutely disjointed and dislocated in your walk with God. Mm. And I think that's, that's, that's what the deconstruction of, of that, that's, that phenomenon of deconstruction happens. And then you either lose faith and, and admit that you don't really believe, like many who in, in the time when I started thinking about these concepts of deconstruction and reconstruction, Joshua Harris had his big, you know, coming out of saying, I'm no longer a Christian. I don't know where he stands exactly now, but I don't think he embraces any form of Christianity. But that impacted me because he was a man who had written a book that had impacted me to a certain degree. My life wasn't revolutionized by the book, but it was certainly impacted. And I felt like, unlike Joshua Harris and many others who have deconstructed to a place where they're no longer Christians, I'm the other side of the story, which is deconstructed, but have landed on a place of even stronger conviction in the goodness of God today than I ever did. And so knowing that there are not just leaders, but even members of our local church who are listening and either know people going through a spiritual deconstruction or are in that place themselves, uh, what would you say, now having reflected on it and now even having written on it, like what is helpful to a person who's in that place and what isn't? And more importantly, how can a person in that place, what, what can they do when they're so upside down uh, to, to experience God? Yeah, two separate questions, and I, I'll try to tackle the first. I mean, there's a to a certain degree, this is this is exactly the place where we need to rely on the spirit. Um, to put, you know, that, that's the sensitivity of of knowing when to push and when not to push. I think, in hindsight, for me, I, I'm shocked at how little people asked how I was really doing during that season. Of course, leaving the church, this located me from my community, from people that were in my small group who I had assumed were my friends. And, and so that's a, you know, it was a different scenario because I sort of left all of that, but, but, but again, there are people now in churches who are hurting and not, not because of wounds by the local church, but maybe 
wounds from other areas of life, broken engagements, uh, broken marriages, uh, stories that they thought would turn out differently in their Christian life, disillusionment in the faith. And so I think the first thing is to create an environment. And I know y'all do a lot of good work with small groups, but I, I always have felt sort of one, one of the reasons I've never really appreciated small groups is because they can be such faker locations. You can show up and say the right things and get through the small group and leave. And your soul is never touched. You never really are truthful. You sound authentic. I mean, I've, I've done that. You say the right things and, 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 but, but you really don't, I mean, you're just going through the motions. Now I think it takes a lot of energy to dig past that, right? It's easier. I mean, I'm an ER doctor. I can tell you, even when I speak with patients on the phone, now I do telehealth. I can guide the conversation to stay superficial if I'm in a rush and I need to get off the phone. And the patient will be fine. There's nothing life and death. Or you can choose to go deeper. And every one of us humans, I mean, I think we have this intuition in our soul. So I think, first of all, there has to be a commitment to be willing to walk with not the whole church, but with a handful of people, maybe two or three people, where you're willing to walk deeper because it does get messy. It's not a problem. By the way, and that is where counseling for me was very helpful, but not, you don't need to have a counselor in every situation in order to get out of the black hole. But for many reasons, the counseling relationship offered me what I think many small groups and church relationships could offer, which was a safe place to be able to unpack that dirty back of laundry. And I think that a lot of us deep in our souls think if they really knew how I felt, they'll kick me out. Or they'll like, especially if you're on your path to become in leadership or are in leadership, they'll, you know, you'll lose sort of privileges and you might or might not. And you could say, well, if you're really repentant, you don't care about losing privileges. I get that. But, but that is a real fear that might keep people, especially people who might be working at church. You might have people who are working at your church who go through this. I think recently I read an article about a worship leader who actually just got saved and he got fired after that. And, and <laughs> instead it should have been like a rejoicing, right? I guess that, okay, go, well, what do you do with that? I don't know. But that sets a tone for people in the church of saying, well, I'm never going to tell them my stuff because mm-hmm. what if there are people who are in leadership in your churches right now who don't know the Lord intimately and, and in a way of, of truth? And so I think you have to, I think we lack in grace and love toward one another, which is why I love your church leading with love. Like in your book, you talk a lot about that because, and I think it has to be more than just words. Every church will say that, but I think, and I think the difference is palpable. There are people in my life, one of the things how the deconstruction has helped me has been seeing the difference between people who, uh, you know, in my old church, I'll, I'll pick on them for a minute, just, but they were so hung up on systems and pace. Like you had to break up, you know, after so many, so much time, you had to create another small group to show that you were growing. And then you had to train leaders and it was all about multiplication. Well, you can't grow breath unless you heal deeply, you know? And so, whereas now I, I look at like some of the models of groups I'm in now, I have friends who are so good to me. I mean, one of the most committed small group leaders, I don't even know that she was formerly a small group leader. I think it was more mutual ministry, but she continues to this day to check on me and very, like just the idea of her texting me, like no one texts single people, no one texts single people who are leaders in ministry. They just assume you're fine. So a simple thing, you start communicating with your people. This is why so many people are leaving church after COVID because during COVID, no one reached out to people. And I think it's worse if you're single. And so I think these are, it's such low hanging fruit of just checking in with people regularly. And it doesn't all have to turn into, you know, a drama of, you know, 10 months of counseling or anything like that. It can be, but, but like my friend Jeannie, as an example, she's a woman who's been through stuff in the past. And I remember once when I started to heal, 
And I started, I was in a new local church that was a church plant, very much different than what I had been in before and still very gun shy. I would show up to small group. And, and, and again, mind you, I was preaching boldly when I was invited to speak, like, don't, you know, do not think that I was this person who was denying God. I was like, I was, I was shouting out the name of Jesus from the mountaintops, but inside I was hurting. And so I started, eventually God worked in my heart and, and I talk about that in a bit. So to the point where I started going to a small group in this small church, kicking and screaming, but I was there and, and I went a couple of times and I hated every minute of it. And I, I remember even telling my counselor, like, this is a joke, this is going to work, but but, but I kept doing it. And, and, and after the second time, I think then COVID hit. So I was like, praise Jesus. There's a living God, right? But, but, but I'm telling you what happened. Like two weeks go by. And one day at one in the morning, Jeannie texts me and was like, Hey, I'm up praying for you. Just want to, you know, see how you're doing. Well, she doesn't know this. I'm an early bird. I wake up in the morning early. I go to bed early. I, now I know her. I know she's just a late night person. So you see how the spirit of God works. I actually thought, God put me on her heart and he had, but the timing was so important to me because I had woken up maybe two nights before that night, every night I was waking up at one in the morning, just wrestling with the Lord, but not a, now it was more of a healing wrestling, you know, but sort of this chasing after God, sort of, God, you know, I need to hear you. Am I alone in this world? You know, sort of going through this internal conversation with God. And like on the second or third night of crying out to God, I get this text from her. I'd never heard from her before, except I had met her in the group, but it was such a pointed personal text. It was the beginning of a deep friendship that has continued. And now I laugh because I think she probably just texted me because she's a night owl. But you see how such little movements of love can impact someone so deeply. I felt seen in that text. I really, I felt like someone cared about me outside of my mother. I know my mother and my sister and my, you know, those people are obliged to care for me. My nephews live down the street. They'll check on me if I don't show up to dinner after a few days. But but to see a stranger who just met me, who really cared about me, I think I think that's the power of the gospel. Hmm. And um and even, even though we've not had regular small group, I've not shown up in this context, you know, like at the time when we were doing this COVID hit, and I mean, she maintained the relationship. There was nothing expected of me. It was simply a relationship where she just cared about me. And I think that continues to be the case with that particular person. I think that person gets what the love of Jesus is. Hmm. One, one question that I have wondered about and, and don't have a real good answer for, I'm hoping you do, is... You know, I see from my seat a lot of people who typically circumstantially triggered uh, end up on this journey of spiritual or theological faith deconstruction. But I see some who approach it almost like a renovation where I am processing what's deconstructing and I'm rebuilding at the same time versus some who just unravel the whole ball of yarn and there doesn't seem to be any desire or effort to rebuild or restore anything. What would you say is the difference between between those two? Well, you can't be out of the equation, right? So I think we tried too much to to define everything because it helps us know what to do, right? Even, you know, how do you love people? I don't know. I mean, it's all like this. There's a certain level in medicine. They teach you that in, in somewhere in the second year of medical school. The first year, they just cram a lot of knowledge on you. And then the second year, they're just talking to, they start talking to you about the art of medicine. And sort of this, you know, you can know all the science in the world, but there's a point where you're not going to have an answer and you have to be comfortable with it. You have to. And, and, and I, I mean, it just happens now. I don't even think about it. Like I just, I just walk with people through the pain and I do it because of my practice in emergency care. I do it fast, but I do it consistently. And sometimes it's clean and crisp 
and, and can be put in a box, but a lot of times it's not. I think Christians need to learn that. I think even the concept of what does deconstruction look like, you're right, it'll look different to different people. Why do some people leave? Honestly, I think there are many people in the church who don't know the Lord. I don't think you can deny that. I think there are people who get on a treadmill of what, you know, there's a certain level of religiosity to Christianity. And I think there is a sense of you got to find out, what do I believe about Jesus? You know, and if he is Lord, and if he does, if he is God, and if he exists, And I think this to me was always sort of like, I've become much more leaning into that in the last five years, which is let God be God. Like, I don't know why somehow we think we need to have all of the answers. Like if he is indeed real, if he's indeed spoken into the world, if he is indeed the one who gives us faith and, and, and whether you're Arminian or Calvinist, I don't think that's the issue. You can't be like, well, you're reformed. You think God is, or you're Arminian. I don't even talking about these theological terms. I'm talking about the fact that if there is a spirit who in principle cares about us enough to die for us, who's given us this language of love that like, there is no rival to the language of love. There's no religion or set of beliefs or, or spirituality that has this loving being who cares about us individually, if that person exists, then you have to be able to even look at people who look like they're deconstructed. I'll pick on Joshua Harris again, because he's made his story public and not fear that he's a lost soul. Because if there is that God, then somehow it's, 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 if he, if he knows them, he will want, you know, it's just not, it's kind of like, I feel like you just spend more time praying at this point than trying to convince people to come back to this God. I've seen it in my own family. There's members of my family who don't believe as strongly as others. And I spent my twenties trying to convince the, those members to change and, and, and talking and spending money and doing things that I thought would like show them that I'm a good Christian. And then into my thirties, I continued doing that. It wasn't until well into my forties that I sort of took my hands off the steering wheel. And I'm telling you, I've been a much happier Christian as a result of it, because now I think, God, the same God who had to find me and who has found me, the same God who awakened me to his presence, like whether it's a messy deconstruction or not, like we either need to come to know the Lord in, if we're, if we've walked away and said like, I don't believe any of this. Well, yeah, maybe you didn't. Like, it's not a forced religion. Like at the end of the day, you have to, you have to, you're an adult, you have a brain, you have to decide whether the savior is worthy of your love or not in a sense. And and I think if you are a Christian and you're just so deeply wounded, such as was my case, and I think there's a lot of deeply wounded Christians who have convinced themselves that they don't believe. I think that person, it's like a long lost love. Like if you, I mean, there's that guy that I never married. I mean, even though I've moved on and I've healed, there's always that thread of something that's still there. And I think for that Christian who might be so wounded that they can't walk into a church, maybe they don't want to hear a small group leader tell them or the pastor guide them. Maybe there's too much PTSD related to something that happened there. There is still a God who my favorite line in my book where I talk about when we think we're making our way back to God when all along he's made his way to us. Mm-hmm. And I think that's been the absolute delight in my life in the past five to seven years is as dark as it got, And I think when I talk about darkness, I think we do a lot of things to self-destruct in that season. You know, we make decisions that I think purposefully, you know, like we, like, it's like people who self-harm, we might not do it in in ways that are, you know, we know what lines not to cross. Like I was still in ministry, so I didn't, you know, go sleeping around or doing anything like that. But I push the boundaries in areas I talk about in areas in my book. And I think we all do that in a way to sort of make ourselves feel better or sort of try to get God's attention. It's almost like a little kid having a tantrum. And by God's grace, I didn't cross any lines that were um, too destructive in my life. But I see now patterns where I was trying to sort of 
I don't know, maybe feel better or maybe try to get God's attention or I, I don't know. There's a lot of dynamics in it, but I just think about how even in those darkest seasons, he, he, I, now I think about it and I think like, I, I feel like I was almost wanting to invite his punishment. It was almost like I just, you know, you want, when you feel like God isn't saying anything, you just want him to say something. So you'll press into it. I mean, I used to do that as a kid with my parents or my mom. And, and I see how God's love has continued to be there. Like, I, I feel like we just don't make enough of God's grace. If, mm. if I'm anything, and I, by the way, I'm a performer. I grew up in a performance-based culture, in a performance-focused church. And so, and I know how to do good works. Like, I, I know that line. We don't make enough of God's grace. It's almost too good to be true. We cannot almost handle it. And I am just absolutely astounded at how deeply he loves us when we give him every reason not to. And to me, that is the story of the gospel, hmm. not all of the other things that we make it to be and how many people show up to church and how many people we get into our small group and on and on and on and on. And the baptisms, those are all good, but you can baptize a million people. But if none of them have really had an encounter with the deep love of Christ, I'm not sure that they will be able to endure any kind of uh, deconstruction process. And so hmm. to me, that's the hope of the book that I wrote is that somewhere in the deepest pain in our souls, there is a, an awareness that creeps out of, of like from under the doors that just astounds you if you'll give yourself a moment to see it. And I think that's the story of, of the book that I wrote. Well, that's what I was going to ask. So Lena's written this book. It, it, we actually got to know each other because we have the same literary agent. So they brokered this friendship that we're now uh, developing and, and God is blossoming. And uh, you released... Uh, it's called Fractured Faith. You released it yeah. eight days before uh, Finding Our Way got released on Amazon. Um, it, it, it archives in detail your story and the process and your experience of spiritual deconstruction. So if someone's out there and they need company mm -hmm. on that journey, I would highly recommend you give this a shot. At the end of the day, Lena, what would you say is the impact that you're hoping the book provides, especially to someone who's finding themselves in that deconstructing place spiritually? Well, I, I can guarantee you the book will offer you healing and hope. And I say this confidently um, because I've heard it time and again now when people have, many, many have read it. And it, I think the big thing is you'll notice like you're not alone. You're not alone. There's such power in that. I, I don't know that, I think we all know intuitively, like, like if I have a big problem, I don't go find someone without problems. I, I, I try to find someone who's had the same problem. In fact, I, I talk in my book in chapter three. Uh, is, uh, the chapter three is a funny chapter. It's about sin. And I use this analogy on marshmallows. And, and if, when you read it, you'll, you'll be amused by it. But people are really connected with the analogy about sin. And, 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 and at the end of the day, I talk about how one day, instead of eating a marshmallow, I ate a s'more. And, and, and the person I went to at that point, God gave me enough insight to, to, to reach out to someone and and it was someone that I knew wouldn't be shocked by this more. And I, because why there's such a sense of kinship when, you know, someone has walked your way, understands your pain and somehow has made it. And I think, um, that's what the book is. It's a friend to someone who is, uh, feeling absolutely disjointed 
and and just cut off from the life that that you might have been familiar with as you know you there's such a ease and comfort to going through the motions of christianity you know to feeling the presence of god to sort of like you know not asking any difficult questions that when you do enter a season where you ask i think first of all be aware that you're going to get into a closer walk with the Lord. And if you've been praying for a closer walk with the Lord, then the odds are you will go through some level of deconstruction. And this book is a friend to walk with you, knowing that you're not alone when you have those thoughts and questions and doubts and, and feelings that you think, man, I shouldn't be thinking those things, but they're there. And I think that that there's such a, a companionship in, in knowing that not only are you not alone, but by God's grace, the book will help you land in a place of closer intimacy with the Lord. I would say of stronger faith, but that's so, I think more, I think that's not the greatest gift for us to be stronger. I think that's the West. We try to think, oh, if I'm strong, you know, to get stronger, be, you know, this is what we grow up thinking. Like, I mean, I'm like, I'm single, I'm a doctor, I'm self-sustaining, you know, like people admire that, but that's not the power of the Christian. It's really that sense of intimacy with the Lord. And I think, I think that's what you'll find in the book is just sort of a friend walking with you, beside you towards the Lord. And, and I think, I think there's, that's just a gift. And so to me, that's been probably the biggest redeeming thing about, about the experience. You know, people say, what would you, would you do differently? And I, I always, you know, even in, in the book, someone asked me after reading it early on, a millennial read it a year ago when I was in the first stages of edits. And she said, you know, I'm, I'm surprised you don't sound like there's anything, you know, what are the positive things from your deconstruction experience? And, and I laugh about it because I think I, I see it now, but, but honestly, I, it wasn't, it was hard. It was painful. It was hard. And, um, and yet today I think, yes, I'm glad to have gone through it. If only to be able to offer somebody else hope, probably it's the same feeling of a person who may have had a child who faced cancer. I mean, I would ever feel happy about that. No, nobody would ever, though you might know that, that, that child might end up, that experience might end up giving you the, 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 the platform to be able to minister to others, you'll, you're grateful for that, but it will never take away that pain of, of that. And if you've lost that child, that's even more painful. So again, like you say, you lose a child to cancer and then you donate their organs. Well, there's joy in knowing you've donated the organs, but there's forever a sadness over the pain. And I think that's sort of my experience on this deconstruction is I, I, I hope I never have to go through it again. The, you know, who knows? I don't know. You know, you don't know in life what the future holds and what kind of trials will come in life. But but I think it's that same sort of bittersweet. I really genuinely believe that if you're hurting for any reason in your Christian life and to the point where you no longer see the goodness of God or sense his presence in your life, you, you need to get this book. I think it will really encourage you. When you talk about uh, having a friend accompany you, um, even beyond the book, you have a ministry that the book kind of drives people to. Uh, can you talk about that and how people otherwise through social media or whatever could connect with you? Yeah, we have a ministry called Living with Power. It's at livingwithpower.org. Oh, we got so many things. I mean, as this started as a Bible teaching ministry, we do biblical resources for everyday life. I basically love teaching the Bible. I do it in many different ways. I have whole books of the Bible I've taught in five-minute segments available on audio. We have an app, too, where you can get all this stuff for free. Um, all of the books that I have, the newest book has a Bible study. That's the only, like, most, 90% of what we have on our site is free, basically. The, I think you'll find a couple of things, like the trade books you have to pay for. But apart from that, pretty much the resources are, you could spend literally six months watching stuff there. But we also have a, a, all the proceeds that of anything that we do in ministry ends up going to the work we're doing with the Middle East. Uh, in the Middle East, in my home country, the Syrian refugee crisis back in 2015. I talk about that in the book too. That was one of the, those 
beautiful things that happened out of the season of deconstruction because I had left my church, because I was sort of looking for what else to do. The Lord opened up a chance to, for me to do work in the Middle East. And now we have a, a lot going on. We support uh, work regularly. We have two medical clinics, one for the Lebanese people, one for the Syrian refugees. We have ongoing visits that we go four times a year where we do care there, but then we have on the ground ongoing work. Last year with the explosion in Lebanon, um, we were able to help to, four churches rebuild. I mean, it's just been a lot of global work that God has just basically allowed me to do. And so, um, the, and the last thing we've created as a result of the book also is a retreat place in Chicago area. It's called the Hope Ranch. All of this information is on our website at livingwithpower.org. The Hope Ranch really was a, a dream that I had that God fast forwarded on. I thought it would take five or 10 years. And then we ended up finding a five acre location uh, down the street from where I live. And it's this mini farm outside of the city that's a house that hosts 18 people that is meant to have small group retreats and time for people to get away and be alone with God in order to be in a place where you can practice and silence and solitude, which was so healing for me during those season, you know, just during the season of deconstruction, I needed time alone with God. And so we're trying to create a place for people to be able to do that. So anyway, the, the website, you can find everything that I've just talked about there on that page. And then you can reach me, of course, Instagram um, uh, and Facebook. We've got a great live Facebook community on Thursday night where I teach the Bible on Facebook live. So it's great. There's a lot going on. Amazing. Amazing. Hey, uh, as we wrap up, uh, I so appreciate you sharing your heart with uh, our listeners, uh, both from our local church and uh, leaders across the country and, and beyond. Uh, as we wrap up, Lena, any final encouragements or challenges that you would want to provide when it comes to journeying specifically through this difficult uh, season called deconstruction? No, I mean, the, the, the biggest thing I've learned is you don't have to try to explain God away. You don't have to defend God. Like, I, I'm so convinced of the goodness and the bigness of God. I, I can't, like, I don't think any of us can see that and, and, and get, you know, sort of encounter God as he is, not as we've made him to be, and not be absolutely transfixed by him. And I think all of these things that we've seen in our culture that have taken away from that and focused on systems and and programs and personalities the horrific thing about those is that they take away from the bigness and the goodness of god and if we could just reclaim that and so anything you can do in your life to reclaim uh, the knowledge and the understanding of who god is and again not as we've made him to be but as he is i think um will just fuel you for the next 50 years. So I, I've never been really, I, I want to use the word and I say it cautiously because I'm not one of those people like so in love with the Lord, but you know, cause it sounds a little like hokey eighties, you know, Christian heavy music, but, but it is true. There is a, I mean, there is a deep relationship with the Lord that we have that I think is, is, you know, when you read taste and see that the Lord is good, it's so true. So I am pretty excited about that aspect of, of what it means to be a Christian more than anything else today. Amazing. Thank you so much for uh, joining us today and to all of you listening. Uh, really appreciate you uh, journeying with us through what is a conversation I'm sure you're going to need to listen to multiple times. I was even scribbling down notes here thinking I'm going to need to listen to this multiple times. So Lena, thanks again for, for being here. Thanks to all of you. We'll see you again uh, in seven days time as we continue finding our way together. Take care, everybody. 